Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Hey, here we are. Here's Linda Iyer. I'm looking right at her for a change this week. I know. We have been on the road. It's been a wild week for us, but so much fun. We've been with our kids. A lot of you know that we're we're basically on the road for only two reasons. One is to give speeches to parents, and the other one is to be with our own children and grandchildren. Exactly. And I went to Boston to enjoy all that ugly black snow. Oh my goodness, it's all turned black and all you can see is concrete, asphalt, and black snow. <clears throat> and Actually, you, you went for both reasons. You went to give a, a little speech on parenting with our daughter Sadie. That, that was fun. How'd you like having her for your speaking partner instead of me? Oh my gosh, she's amazing. I mean, no offense to you, but I got to say whatever I wanted. It was awesome. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Are you saying that are you saying that uh, Sadie's not as big a talker as I am? She's not quite so dominating, but oh um, I do have to say that I really went to well for that reason, but also our ten-year-old granddaughter, who's homeschooling this year, just read Little Women, and I said I finally just thought I just got to go out there and we got to give them a little breath of something changing besides snow, snow, snow. So. Um, she read Little Women, and we went out. To you were the relief. You were the relief from the constant barrage of a hundred. How many inches of snow have they had? Well, actually, while inches. we were there, the night we spoke, it it was a blizzard on the way to the speech last Sunday. Oh my word! And uh, it was absolutely amazing because everyone was so excited because they only needed one more inch to break the record. Oh, the so all -time people were world excited. Record, so they, they wanted so more excited. snow. Yeah, snow, snow. But uh, we thought no one would come, but they were there, and then they said, you know, this is nothing compared to what we've been used but to. But then you had quite a time. Everyone started throwing up, all the grandkids, right? I mean, is it okay to say throw up on the air? Yeah, I think is, it's better than barf. Is that going to get beeped out? Yeah. <laughs> um, you, but really, I'm glad you're okay because you were exposed. Well, it was really a marvelous adventure. My favorite part was taking... Hazel, our little 10-year-old, to Orchard House, which is where Louisa May Alcott was, uh, lived as a child and wrote Little Women. And so it was fabulous. We had so much fun. And then the kids started throwing up and uh, a little four-year-old. Did that have anything to do with Louisa May Alcott? No, not at all. <laughs> no, but uh, little Peter on his birthday on Sunday uh, had a big party and then he threw up. And then we went, I took the kids to church and... Emmeline, their six-year-old, threw up all over all the kids in primary, oh, and they had no. to move the whole primary to the gym. I mean, it was really hilarious. But the funniest part was the, the <laughs> name of the talk that Sadie had chosen is "Enjoy It" because it's happening. And, sort of um, be, be in the moment. Be in kind the of moment. Talk, so yeah. when I brought Emmeline back, you know, after before church was over, and I told her what happened, she said, "Well, let's enjoy it because it's happening." <laughs> It was, it, it was happening all over everyone. But you're back, and I'm back, too, and I've been with the boys. We've, we've had our little father-son's gathering and played a lot of tennis and watched a lot of tennis, and I learned a lot about, you know, it's amazing how you think you know your kids. You, you don't think there's any surprises. You don't think there's anything you're going to learn that you didn't already know, and then you spend some time with them, and by golly, there's... They, it's, a, it's not a static situation. It's dynamic. Things are changing. We've got a lot of kids who are in transition. Some are moving. 
and some are having babies, and it's a constant. You know, I, I wonder how anyone with a family could ever be bored because there's so many things changing all the time. There are. I mean, even if you only have one, there's so many things going on in life. But we kind of like this part of life, don't we? Oh, boy, do we ever. In fact, we were talking to a, uh, a large group uh, down in St. George, Utah the other day, and most of them were seniors. I know that because when we looked out on the audience, I saw a lot of blue hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not right, but gray and white and so on. And, and one of the things we asked the audience is, how many of you would go back to an earlier time in your life? How many of you would like to go back to when you were 35 or to when you were 25? And I'd say out of 500 well, people, there were people, about 10 who raised their hands. No, there were quite a few people that raised their hands. Until we said, but you can't take back what you know now with you. Oh, yeah. You have and to so just go back to where caveat. you were. You have to go back to where you were. Well, and then people a lot like, of hands went down. People like uh, the, the stage of life we're at now. We know, we know you listeners are a lot of different stages of life, but we, we have a little topic today that we think is pretty appropriate to every age. Uh, whatever your stage of life or your phase of life is. And it has to do with the commonality of experience that, that families present us with. I mean, think of this world we live in, depending on where you live. We saw a movie last night about Timbuktu. We, we uh, you know, you watch the news and you see what an opposite form of life some people are living, how, how the circumstances differ so greatly, how, how their beliefs often are very different than ours, how uh, there's just a huge amount of diversity, politically, demographically, every other way across the earth, but there is this similarity, there's this overarching umbrella of commonality when it comes to children and parents. The idea that all parents, wherever they are and whatever they're doing, whatever their circumstances are, sort of have essentially the same hopes and dreams for their children and the same worries and fears about their children. And the feelings within a family of love and, and, and joy and frustration, let's be honest, at many times, are so similar no matter where you are in the world, and we think of it as the big tent. You know, think of that analogy that the, the family, that the, the idea of parents who care about their children, that's a big tent. That's an inclusive thing. That involves people all over the world. There are a lot of small, exclusive tents. You're not in this tent because you're different than me. You're not in this tent because you have you, you believe things differently than I do. You're not in this tent because you think that things are important that I don't think are important, so on and so forth. But when it comes to the family tent, the idea of parents being with their children, that's a big, big tent. It is a big tent, and uh, there's a lot happening in that big tent. And as you mentioned, there are a lot of um, offshoots and people holding down the pegs of the tents in a different way than we do. This Seeing this movie, Timbuktu, was so disturbing for me because, as you said, their family loved each other just as much as any family loves each other. And with the same type of feelings, yeah, the same tenderness. Yeah, with this beautiful little girl and the sweet little boy herding cows. 
And um, I won't tell you what happened, but it, and I don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of grueling to watch, but it really is so sad because they were taken over by, I don't know if that was Al Qaeda, ISIS, Taliban, or what, you know, they were taken over by these people and had no control over their lives, which makes me so appreciate what we have here in the free world because we can go where we want, do what we want. I mean, they're saying no music, um, no soccer, and these poor little boys who were, loved soccer were out playing on a dusty soccer field with no ball. They were just pretending that they had a ball. Um, it really was quite a shocking But again, the thing that we thing. were thinking about because of this show today and because of our, our I, we wrote our Deseret News article last week on this idea of a big tent and how we should look for things that we have in common with other parents, not focus so much on, on what our differences are. And, and so it was, again, a little amazing to look at this little family living in Mali uh, outside of Timbuktu, the legendary city, and, and seeing that with all the f frustration and differences and turmoil that the film portrayed, that the, the feelings in the family were very, very similar to the feelings you'd find in any family. Now, we come at this big tent thing kind of from a unique perspective because as we go out and speak to parents and families in different parts of the world, uh, our venues and our audiences, you would think, are so different. I mean, for example, we'll, we'll go speak to a uh, a stake or a multi-stake in the LDS church or a Relief Society meeting. And, you know, we'll be talking about families and parenting and so on. And then maybe later the same week or the next week, we'll be speaking um, to a group of business executives in a major city somewhere in the world. And maybe another time we'll be speaking to a school or whatever, and, and it's still a different part of the world. And you'd think that we would have to change our message or our speech a great deal to fit the local circumstances. But the interesting thing is we change it very, very little, again, because this is a big tent. This is when you're talking about what kids need and what, they, what parents worry about and so on, very much the same no matter where you are or who, you, who your audience is. You know, I'll never forget sitting one night at a dinner uh, with a teenager in Saudi Arabia. And this was the cutest girl, completely dressed in a bias, scarf and robe and the whole thing. And uh, we had the most interesting conversation. She spoke fluent English. And I said, so what do you do? She was 16. And I said, what do you do on weekends? Because, you know, they're so restrictive about boys and girls never being together in the same room. She said, oh, my girlfriends and I, we have the most fun. We get together and we dance and we have such an awesome time. And I said, well, how do you get there and back? Because, you know, none of them can drive. And she said, oh, I'm going to drive. Women can't drive in any case. Right. Right. So she said, oh, I have a driver. He takes me, you know, wherever, wherever I want to go. And uh, we have the best time. And uh, we talk just about, I, I would imagine, just like any American group of girls would talk. We have just so much fun. And maybe not quite the same, I must say. But well, there'd be, di there'd be differences there. But then when, when I remember that conversation in Saudi Arabia, and when, 
again, when we were talking about how you feel about your parents, how you feel about your siblings, um, you know, how you feel about your grandparents, so many similar family feelings. And another reason this is a topic that's on our mind today is that we, a week ago or so, a little more than a week now, we were in Los Angeles and we were receiving an award from a group called the Fathers and Families Coalition of America. And it was a group that was primarily African Americans and some Latinos, mostly, I would guess, Baptists in terms of, of religion. And um, I want to, after we come back from a little break, I want to use that experience with that group of people and contrast it to another convention that's coming up right here in our own backyard in Salt Lake City later in the year. And, and get in a little more into this idea of why it's so important as parents that we think of other parents as our allies and someone that is similar to us rather than someone that is different. So let's take a brief break, Linda, and we'll be right back and talk further about the big tent of families. Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And we're back and we're talking about the big tent. It really is amazing what happens when you start thinking, when you start traveling and realizing that families are the same all over the world, which we mentioned in the first half. But also when you realize that there are so many ways to have good families but they all come down to the basic values that we all hold dear. Yeah, and, and what I wanted to say is that, um, and I, we've actually talked on previous shows about this gathering in Los Angeles, but there we were looking around the room, you would say, wow, you know, um, this is a different group than we're usually with. This is a group of African-American and Hispanic parents and, and marriage partners and so on. But they're here celebrating marriage. They're here celebrating how important it is to, to be good parents. Especially they're particularly fathers. there, yeah, celebrating how great it is when fathers are involved in the family because as you may know, seventy percent of African American children in this country grow up without a father in their home. It's quite shocking, and it's over fifty percent for Hispanic families. And so, you know, it was a, a well conceived purpose to get together and celebrate how important fathers are within the home. But yeah, I don't want to get into a lot of details, but we got an award and we'd been, we've been married for 45 years and, and people thought that was quite a long time. And then one of the other awards went to a couple that had been married for 71 years and so uh, he sang a little song to her when they got the award, which was really sweet. But here's my point I'm getting to. Uh, you know, what was happening there was not a thing about race or about religion or about any sort of prejudice or any sort of diversity. It was a thing about the commonality of parents and families. And that's what we need more of in our culture. The actual convention wasn't run very well. There were a lot of inefficiencies, but the idea of it was so good. 
And it got us thinking about what's happening here in our own backyard in just a few months. Later this year, the World Congress of Families is meeting in Salt Lake City. They've had their meetings in Istanbul and in Australia and all over the world. And this time it's right here in Salt Lake City. And here's the concern we have. There are a lot of people who see family as a divisive issue. In other words, you know, do you believe in abortion or don't you? Do you believe in gay marriage or don't you? Do you believe in in this kind of family or that kind of family? Do you do you feel like uh, we need to talk about gun control in the in the same convention we talk about families? Do we need to talk about immigration in that same convention? Well, the, our concern is there are a lot of very divisive issues, and people feel very passionately about their position on those issues. And the tendency is to bring those issues to these conferences and to get in debates about what's the right position on this political issue or that political issue. And our worry is that what that does is it dilutes or diminishes the opportunity to focus on the things we can all agree on, namely the importance of parents and children's lives, the importance of having real fidelity in a family, the importance of nurturing children when they need it and prioritizing them and, and so on, and the importance of having a lobbying group to, to encourage the community and the churches and the other things that surround the family to be supportive of families and to do everything they can to help parents with the rearing of children. And these uniting issues tend to get lost in the shuffle when we get too caught up debating the political issues which surround families. It's an uphill battle, isn't it? It's really getting scary in this world because we know, and I think all of our listeners know, how important families are. Whether you have your own children or whether you're just part of a family, it really is so essential to our well-being. And it really is scary how divisive this is becoming and how diluted it's becoming. We both heard an advertisement on BBC, or not an advertisement, a, a story on BBC radio this week. And it was so disturbing. It was about a dating, um, dating service in Europe where they were advertising on TV and they showed a bride um, at, the, at the altar with her fingers crossed behind her back. Meaning, you know, okay, I'm ready to go to the dating thing as soon as this gets boring. And it really is so sad that so much of the world is going the other direction. It's so important to be part of this big tent of families because there are so many things that we learn from having a family. We sacrifice. We do the things that we need to do. We become who we are because of our families. And I think families are doing this all over the world. It's not just us. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point you make, Linda, this, this particular dating service. And, you know, there's a lot of dating services, and some of them are quite wonderful. They promote Christian values and so on. But this particular one essentially was promoting adultery. You right. know, and, I mean, you don't you go ahead and get on our, on our dating site. It doesn't matter if you're married. You know, this is a site for everyone, you know. 
that wants a new partner. And so there's all kinds of things like that going on. But again, the thing that's, that's important is that we, we focus in these conventions, these meetings, on the things that unite us as parents and as children. It goes way back for us. You know, back in the Reagan administration, we were asked to be the, uh, the director of the White House Conference on Children. And, and my first effort as the director was to, was to change the name. Let's make it the White House Conference on Parents and Children, because this isn't just about government assistance to children and so on. This is about strengthening families and trying to get families to do their job. We, we sort of see the world as a big bullseye, like a target, like an archery target. And the center, the bullseye of that target is the family. And then the next ring is probably the churches and the neighborhoods and the structures that try to support family. And then there's the corporate structure that, that employs us and and so on. And then there's the government on the outer ring. And, and it should all be sort of concentric with the goal being to try to help families do their jobs. Because when you start trying to have things other than families be in charge of the raising of children or of the establishment of morality and values in society, it just all goes south. It just doesn't work for other larger institutions to do the job of the most basic institution. Well, you know, sometimes the problem is with us because we judge people that do their families in a different way or have a different uh, mindset. Uh, I have an example is we were in India and in Delhi once giving a seminar and we had about maybe oh, 30 couples there, 60 people, and we started, launched in on our thing. And um, we were talking about marriage and one of the women raised their hand and said, now how does that work with an arranged marriage? And it kind of took our breath away because it's the first time really that we've been exposed to a lot of um, people who had arranged marriages. And we said, oh, oh, how many of you have arranged marriages? Guess what? 90% raised their hands. And, you know, your first thought is, oh, how could you do that? How can you manage? We were talking to a lot of fabulous couples. And as we've traveled more and more in that world, we've realized in all through the Middle East, they're still arranging marriages, but in a more kind and gentle way. Um, we've realized yeah, that people at least have veto power if they don't want to enter into the marriage. Right, exactly. And most cases, for them. the lower classes are still a sad story. But but it really is was remarkable. We were talking to people who had really solid, wonderful marriages and great children. And in fact, I think the marriage, the divorce rate is much lower in those arranged marriages. Maybe it's because... It's hard to get divorced. Well, and it's partly because the that they see marriage as the joining of two families. So you know the parents really get involved in that choice and that decision, and and the families kind of come together. And there's a lot to be said for it. We've we've often joked that we we wish we could arrange a marriage for our son who's oh, still not. Yeah, I'm I'm all for it. I mean, I've been around these people so much, and it's been so interesting sitting. At a dinner with a, a young bride who said, told me how this happened. Oh, we emailed, we met, and then we emailed for six months, and we went back and forth, and we knew what each other thought. We knew how each other felt because we were writing to each other. And boy, I think that's a better solution. Well, I'm glad you. I mean, you you actually did. I think Linda hit on maybe the most extreme example of 
a wide cultural difference where, where, you know, on the surface someone would say, well, wow, an arranged marriage versus a marriage where two people meet and fall in love. How could, how could anything be more different than those two scenarios? And yet that really makes the point we're making that even in such an extreme social difference as that, these married couples and families once they're established, once they get going, have these very similar feelings within them of love and of nurturing for their children and, and whatnot. And, and that's why we're so concerned about this upcoming event in Salt Lake City. We wrote a, a newspaper article on it last week, or at least we referenced in the article, this World Congress on Families that's going to be meeting here in the fall of this year and how, how much we hope that it'll focus on things that unite families rather than things that divide people on, on peripheral issues that are important issues like immigration and gun control and other things. But we hope those won't become the focal point of the conference, that we hope the conference really dwells on things that unite parents and families throughout the world. Well, you know, we got some got some feedback on the article. We got some letters to the editor. One of them said, well, why would you even mention a thing like the World Congress for, for Families? That's a hate group. That's a hate group. They, 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 they don't like um, anything that isn't along the lines of their conservative values. And, and so they're judging. I mean, they're ju that, that reader's judging. I mean, it's is this whole business problem. of judging each other that is that is undermining families. And think of it this way, Linda, if, you know, there's, there's plenty of anti-family forces in the world. We all know that. So what if those who are pro-family in various ways are divided among themselves I know, and fighting each other, scary. then yeah. that splits up the, 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 you know, the coalition that should be fighting instead the anti-family forces that really surround us. Well, it's so true, and as we close off the show today, we just want you to know that we appreciate families, not just those that believe exactly as we do, but families over the world, and I think our readers feel the same. It really is a big tent. A big tent of families, and now let's just end with the small tent of your own family. Good luck with your kids this week. Good luck with your parents this week. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time on... Uh, here's on the road. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.